Everybody, welcome to another edition of a deluxe edition, the show where we dig into classic pop culture. I'm Bill Seabald here, as always, with Mr. Casey Shearer. How are you, sir? Good, Bill. How are you, buddy? You were completely gone in that puff of smoke for a hot <laughs> second. I didn't even have these special effects on it this time. <laughs> I'm riding high, buddy. We had a fucking great guest this week, man. We did. Who was it? Tommy Chong. So if people were to ask me who was on my Mount Rushmore of potheads, I think I would have to go with the man that's on my shirt, Hunter Thompson, Joey Diaz. Now this is my list. This is sure, people sure. are gonna people are gonna say, who the fuck is Joey Diaz? This is my list. Right. Joey Diaz, Hunter Thompson, Cheech and Chong, right? Okay. That's your top four, top three. Yeah, well, it's Mount Rushmore, so that's four, right? Oh, my God. I forgot how many people were on Mount Rushmore for a minute there. <laughs> Did Trump ever get his face on there? I know he was he was trying to do that for a while. Yeah, no, this show was uh, – I'm going to be honest. I was actually pretty nervous doing this interview, and I don't know how you edited it. I don't know if there's uh, – if, if you if you caught it, but there was one time, one question. I stuttered for about 50 minutes. I was like, oh, I can't even spit this question out. but. You just didn't want to miss an answer from Tommy. He had so much to say, and we only had an hour with him, and I hope we can do another because I, I still have a bazillion questions that, that I could have asked him. Yeah, this was awesome, man. This was awesome, and uh, we'll get in, we'll get right into it real quick. Tommy talks about this in the episode, but uh, I was in Michigan recently, and uh, I found Tommy Chong's pre-rolls, buddy. All right. Look at you. You are now an actual customer. Far out, man. Yeah, they don't have them around here. Tommy talks about it in the episode. If your dispensary doesn't have these, ask them. They're they're fucking awesome, man. Really good. I'm not usually an indica guy, but I've been smoking these uh, before bedtime, and it's uh, it's nappy new new time. Nappy new new. I like what he said. He said, "Call him up. Be a bug. Be a bug. <laughs> <laughs> Tell your dispensary you want them." That's cool. Yeah, it's worth it, man. Tell, definitely tell your dispensary if uh, if your state has pre rolls, if it's legal in your state, definitely check these out. Bill, I don't know if you know this, but I'm a connoisseur of marijuana. This is some of the best stuff I smoke. This is wedding cake. These are uh, there were five pre rolls in this, and thirty percent, dude. I, don't, I know you don't know your numbers of uh, marijuana that well. Thirty percent weed. That's that's pretty high. It's good stuff. Did it taste like wedding cake? I'm not the, my taste buds are, I haven't been able to taste anything for months. 
Oh, maybe you did get the COVID then, man. <laughs> you might want to get the antibodies tested, though, for sure. That's funny. Oh. All right, man. Yeah, let's get into this. Just give some plugs real quick. Tell people where they can find us, all that stuff. Yep, you can find us everywhere. So if you go to deluxeedition.show, that's our website. You'll find all of our links to Facebook. You'll find uh, you know everything that we do. Uh, one thing I just want to say, it's really great when you like, when you share, when you subscribe to all of our stuff, every single platform, every all these social media platforms, Casey, they all work the same way. It's engagement helps you rank better in the systems, whether it's Spotify or YouTube. So, you know, the more that you can show engagement, the the better it is for us and it'll help us be shown to more people. So we definitely love your help in all that. Yeah, and definitely tell your friends. If you like the show, tell your friends. Say, hey, these uh, guys just interviewed Tommy Chong. It was pretty cool. You should check their show out. We've had a lot of great guests, so uh, go back in our catalog. And uh, Tommy's not the only good one we've had. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's get into it, bud. All right. Hello. Hey, how are you? Tommy, how are you? So I'm I'm one of those kids that that grew up in the 80s and grew up on late night movies. And, you know, your movies were like the first that I discovered. So you basically raised me. You basically, oh, me and, you know, I'm, I'm the product of you. I just want you to know. So I, I've studied your career as a fan and, you know, all of your stuff. I even know, you know, your history. But I, I have a couple of questions that I never found the answers for online. So one of the things that I remember seeing, <laughs> this is kind of a maybe it's a funny question. But one of the things I remember seeing is when you were uh, on stage, it was 1978 or so. And, and you had tapes that were kind of circulating. So in the early 82, 83 uh, years I remember getting a tape of your act so I'm pretty familiar oh, yeah. with your early stage act and oh yeah the thing that I've always been kind of puzzled by is about 1978 the tape that I had you said on stage hey we're about to make a movie with this skit and if we get rich you know we never have to do this shit again which I thought was hysterical that you were saying that to the audience but the movie was up in smoke were you still doing your act <laughs> and recording the movie at the same time <laughs> You must have been the hardest uh, no. working people in show business. No, no, no. It's just that I've always been privy to what was coming. <laughs> I, no, seriously, seriously. Like, you know, the pandemic, this pandemic, I did a movie in Portugal with Nick Cage. I was, I didn't had many uh, scenes with him, but Nick Cage was the star of the movie. And it was about a pandemic. <laughs> and it was a year before the pandemic. Wow. About the pandemic. And it's a pandemic that came from a meteorite that hit, uh, struck the earth and it spread like wildfire through the population and was killing everybody. And Nick Cage's wife in the movie, you know, they get it. It's an old, a remake of a, a horror movie, but it was about a fucking pandemic. And a year later, guess what? Yeah. We're in a pandemic. And you know what? Another thing that struck me when the pandemic hit, guess what day it hit on? Passover. <laughs> the Passover. And none of my Jewish friends got the connection. <laughs> I said, you're celebrating a, a, a holiday about when the angel of death flew over the house and as long as you had the blood of a, a ox or something you know signifying that you were a christian the angel of death come in in your house so <laughs> we're in a pandemic celebrating a passover ah oh, it was and then what happened we've been in a year 
Passover came again, and they still and they still didn't, <laughs> still didn't get, it. get it. Still didn't get it. <laughs> so the movie is it just shelved? And there are they thinking maybe it's not the oh right no 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 oh, it did oh come no out? it it was released it was out yeah it was out it had a bit of a life I don't know you go online you can get it you know it's, it's still still being shown I guess it was one of Nick Cage's uh, thing you know ideas someone had the idea yeah. Yeah. I think what, what's really interesting about you, I, I'm not even sure most people know, but you, you have like two careers in Hollywood or in the entertainment business, I should say. Like, you're yeah. like a, a, a Motown star. Yep. You wrote a hit song. So, yeah, I sure actually, did. Do you ever miss? Oh, I have so many questions for you. So, like the style of playing that you were doing, you know, as one of the Vancouver's, I, next thing you know, you're now playing shred guitar. You're playing, I, I'm assuming you're playing guitar on uh, Earache My Eye. No, I wish it oh, was, but no, no, it wasn't me. How much no, guitar I, did you play on your recordings? None. 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 No. No, you can get studio musicians for next to nothing. <laughs> that can play in tune, you know. No, I'm I'm not that good of a guitar player. Thank God. Oh my God. You know, but the 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 guy that wrote the song and played the shred guitar, he, he died broke. And I just wrote the words. I'm a poet more than anything, and I can play guitar. But thank God, I'm not really that great. You know, I've got good uh, instincts. You know, I got good timing. I don't have the the strength, you know, in, in the fingers to really get the punky blues, you know, that the guy that played on the record, Gay Delorme. This guy was a monster guitar player. In fact, my, our, his claim to fame was that, seriously, when I heard him play, I quit playing guitar. <laughs> because he did that old trick, the guitarist trick, you know, hey, man, do you mind if I uh, use your axe? Uh, do you mind... Uh, Okay, here, uh, let me fix the amp a little bit. Do, do, he dirtles a little bit and turn it a little bit. <laughs> Next thing I know, it's Jimi Hendrix coming out of that fucking amp. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going, that's my guitar? I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Could not believe it. The guy was so great. But in the at the end of his life, the, this club would pay him 100 bucks to come down and just solo. Just play a solo, you know. And, uh, and Gay, Gay felt, you know, a little slighted. And he was also funny. He was the funniest. He gave us a lot of the skits. He wrote uh, the Me and My Old Lady, the song that Cheech and I do and uh, Things Are Tough All Over. He wrote <laughs> the rodeo song. And now, you might know that one because that became sort of like a cult classic with all the rockers, you know. It's 40 Below. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Forty below, and I don't give a fuck. Got to hear it. Yeah, that's Gator Alarm. He wrote that. That was his. That was it. Wow. Yeah, that's him. That's the kind yeah. of stuff that was, was being passed around with me and my friends. Your tapes, you know, it, it was just yeah. it was the best time. One of the questions I, I wanted to ask is: You had said that you were fired from the Vancouver's, and now I know why because you were the guitar player and you can't play guitar. So that, that was good. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, you know, in a way, you're right. In a way, in, in, in a roundabout, yeah, you're right. Because 
I, I left the gig. You know, what happened, Bobby, T- you know, Motown, when, when they get a star a star group, first thing they do is take the singer, take the best parts of the group. You know, it's like they take a car apart, you know. They just take the motor and the, you know, <laughs> and the transmission, and, and then we're left. So they took Bobby Taylor, and then they left us with uh, the job of backing up Barry Gordy's uh, stable of girlfriends, you know. And one was Chris Clark. And and so when I missed the gig to get a green card, you know, because, you know, I was taking care of business. You know, we'd been deported a couple of times from uh, from Detroit. And, and so it was time to get a green card because I was going to work in the States. Yeah. And so I told Motown, Motown, oh, of course, get a green card. And they were helping me. But they didn't tell the, the road manager when I, when I missed the gig, he uh, uh, he told me, he says, uh, if you if you don't if you don't make it Saturday, you know you're fired. Or Friday, I think it was Friday. And anyway, I, I didn't make it. I did the meeting, and then I came to the gig, and the guy said, "Take your shit, get your shit, get out of here." Wow. And see, had I been the star guitar player, they would have said, "Oh, sorry, you're late." You know, no problem. But because I was just, you know, a guitar player, <laughs> you're just the rhythm backup guy. You were you were invisible. Yeah. You're you're out of here. Now, the thing is, I wrote the song. See, I've never right. acted like that. I, I, I never in my life ever acted like a singer. I've always backed him up. And not because I was in love with the guitar. It was because it, it's like in the farm, you, you help people regardless of what they want done. And so when I, my friend needed a guitar player, I, 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 yeah, I can play guitar. But it wasn't my lifelong dream to become a guitar player. In fact, my aunt finally bought me a, a Fender amp, a 15-inch speaker, that my brother, who I taught to play bass, because we never had a car, and he had the car, and we needed transportation. So I taught him how to play bass and to the point where when we had a reunion, I had to on stage. I had to go show him where to put his fingers because <laughs> he, he never knew. And our real bass player, another kid, a singer uh, that he wanted. We see. Then when we went on the road, we we went without a bass player because he was married. He couldn't go on the road, and so we we never. I, I would play bass sometimes uh, in a trio situation, but for the most part, we we played a lot of gigs without a bass player. And which gave me the the Chuck Berry thumb. See, I can't uh, oh, I can't wow. straighten the thumb. Oh. It's from holding the pick wow. like this here for five steps a night. So no, I was I was very lucky. I could uh, I could do a lot of things, but I'm not what what I you know like directing movies or even stand up, even stand up. Like I was never really I, I had no dreams of being a stand up. It was that I saw Dennis Miller do it by himself, and I thought, well, that looks like fun. And now I'm kind of uh, hooked on it. You know, I I, I, I like it. A little bit too much, you know. I I know, but I like talking. I like doing uh, what I'm doing now. 
when you leave a career, were you scared at all? Or were you saying, hey, you know, I kind of am into the because I know that you became introduced to improv and you were you fell in love with improv and you met Richard Cheech. Right. And then you started, you know, Cheech and Chong together. But you're switching from a career into something else. Did you go at it like I'm a little bit on my heels or I'm excited to be giving this a shot? No fear at all. No, I'll tell you. When I was a kid, my mother had TB, so I I never really uh, was raised with a mother. And I had a problem. I ended up in the hospital for about a year. And then I went from the hospital right into an orphanage, like a home, Salvation Army home. And so I never had parents. You know, I, I was always institutional. That's why going to jail was no big deal. It was like home, going back home. So I was always institutionalized. And then I, I realized, uh, the only, I've been thinking about this a lot. The only entertainment we had when you're poor is church. That's the only organization that really accepts you, you know, because that's what they're for. <laughs> the poor and, and, uh, and the miserable. And that was me. And so when I was a kid, my mother would send me to, uh, when she came back to live with us and that, uh, she would send us to Sunday school. I loved it. I loved Sunday school. I loved all the stories and that. And I loved hearing about God. And and then I went to uh, Bible camp. Again, it was hearing about God and uh, and learning how to pray. And, and when I was in Bible camp, I not only learned how to pray, but I got the award for being the nicest kid in camp, <laughs> the nicest boy. <laughs> my brother, on the other hand, yeah, he was a few infractions away from being kicked out and sent home. But I was I, I was three years younger than him, so I, I was really interested in all the Bible stories. And so I really got a nice connection with Jesus. But I never got a connection with the fear part. All I got a connection with was the love part. And that stayed with me. But when when I was in Bible camp, I learned how to pray. They're, they 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 taught us that night we were there. They learned, learned, taught us how to say our prayers. Now, I've seen homes, you know. In fact, mine was one of them, you know, where you teach your kid. Now I lay me down to sleep. Praise the Lord, my soul to keep. Well, this guy, the the teacher that taught us how to pray, he he went a little deeper. He didn't teach us. What he said, he says. If you really want something bad enough and you tell God, your prayers will be answered. And so I started, that stayed with me. And then it started working. And that's why I had no anxieties about anything, you know, because every every door that, that shut, there was another one that was wide open and yelling for me to go. And so I, I never looked back. And so I just went from one ex- experience to another experience to another experience. And they're tests, by the way. They're all tests. Because you get a little test of, uh, like, like for instance, we, we, had a, we tried to own uh, two nightclubs before we found one that worked. Mm. And the way we found it, the first two we tried it, do it ourselves the last one 
it was like the divine took over and, and said, oh, okay, you guys really want a club here? I'll give you one. And and this guy that just bought a, a big uh, apartment duplex with a steakhouse in the basement said, uh, said to us, uh, hey, you guys want a nightclub? We said, uh, yeah. yeah sure. <laughs> and, and so we, now we starved for a couple of months. We never gave up hope, you know, because we couldn't afford to do anything, but you couldn't afford to advertise. We could, you know, people worked on, you know, just on favor more than anything. But sure, eventually but how many people had a club that had topless women. It was like you were a variety show at a strip club <laughs> with a comedy act. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure it wasn't. Well, that, so that evolved. Brilliant. That, that time, evolved. That's great. It evolved. It evolved. But it's done with prayer. It's done with prayer. Not not conscious prayer, but this is this is when when you get hooked in, you know, it's like the computer. You know how to turn the computer on. Well, I know how to turn my God app on. Mm-hmm. And when I when I turn that on, then miracles happen. One after another, after another. And look at look that's where I am right now. Right now I'm looking at a marijuana industry that has my name on it. And Cheech's name on it. They're they're looking at it as like a billion dollar business, a billion dollars. Yeah. <laughs> and, if my can do it, you guys can definitely do it. And that's without going on stage playing guitar, without doing nothing. <laughs> I've already done it. Now, now my my chore is going to be this talking. And trying to figure out what to do with all that money. (laughs) (laughs) Tommy, when you got, when you guys first started out making these movies, did you ever think that it would be legal? Do you ever think that, did you ever think that it would be like this? No, no, no. I had no, I, I, I never, I could, I could never predict the future. I still can't. Because it's it's too much fun, you know, being in the present. No, I I kind of I kind of well, I knew I was on the right track first of all, because all these people that I hung with, you know, the healthiest people in the world. My biggest aim was to become a bodybuilder, you know, not not to be in contests or anything else, but just to get big enough so that uh, you know. I could impress the females, you know, or the males, depending, but mostly females. And uh, that's all I wanted to do because I love the bodybuilding life. You know, you work out, you go lay in the sun, <laughs> you know, and then you eat very carefully. And so so it was a lifestyle that I could afford, you know. And so my, my original plan when I got fired from Motown was to go to California, write songs, and work out at, at Gold's Gym. Now, I did that. Unfortunately, the club, or fortunately, the clubs needed my attention. And so when, when I went back, because I, you know, I, I saw what I saw in, in my mind, you know, and, and it was all also ordained that I start an improvisational club in a strip club. <laughs> you know, that was another, really? God, you want me to do that? <laughs> uh, okay. But <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it, uh, no, God's got a sense of humor. He really does. That's the only way I can, that's the only way I can explain Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> 
One of the things that I've always really admired <laughs> about you, and, and it, I've had conversations about this with people, when Up and Smoke came out, fantastic movie, right? It's based on your characters. It's it's not you. It's not Cheech and Chong. You know, it, it's Man and Pedro. Great movie. I friggin' love it. One of my top five forever and ever. Then you start taking over the movies. You're directing yeah. the movies. Yeah. First off, you know, everyone's like, oh, you know, they must be stoned out of their mind. No, you have to be disciplined. You have to actually be like there to be able to make a movie. So I always assumed that you probably are a little bit more disciplined, a little bit more like you just described yourself as I bet a lot of people ever knew. Oh, for sure. Yeah. How did you get control of, of, of movies? How did they not say, no, 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 no. You keep staying with Lou. We, let's keep milking this cash cow. How did they let you create the, the next couple movies? Well, again, it's ordained, you know, uh, see, see what I did. I used a, a process. I stumbled on, it, you know, but I kind of learned it from my music career. You see, uh, when we had the nightclub, uh, the only people that you could hire that were really good musicians and that would work for the kind of money we're, 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 we were paying were jazz musicians, you know. And so I got a really good education in jazz, uh, incredible education. Even though I couldn't play it, I sure understood it. And when you understand jazz, then you understand life. You see, because what jazz does, you take whatever tune you can think of, and then you add intelligent changes and intelligent uh, trips to it, musical trips to it. You, you, you got a whole playground to play in, you know? Uh, and, and so I, I learned the theory of it. Now, now, I had a nice compliment from Herbie Hancock um, because I do a character called Blind Melon Chitlin, which borders on racism, you know, <laughs> because I play an old blind blues singer and, uh, but I play a little guitar when I was on myself, when I was on my own, I used to play a lot of guitar and then do Blind Melon Chitlin. Well, Herbie came to see us one time. And so I, I played around with the guitar and, you know, and I know, you know, I know enough jazz and enough, uh, you know, enough music. I don't have to think about it. I just do it. You know, that's how you dirtle around. And and I get interesting little rhythm patterns going somehow. You know, the kind that would make Herbie Hancock go, oh, I like that. Oh, 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 that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I had a lot of people, you know, I fuck with their mind. You know, because, you know, years, you got to know something after years and years and years of playing on stage, you know, night after night, you know. And so, so I'll, I'll throw those little, little gems out there. And, and then he came in with the, with a blind villain character saying, the only two kinds of women in the world, those that smell good, and those that don't. <laughs> 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 and and Herbie said, Herbie said to me after he says, "Man, you, you you're playing that, that you know that you're playing so great, and then you come up with that other shit." <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it so funny? Just I feel like the stuff that we saw in the '80s was all in such good fun. It was we were just playing with stereotypes and parodies, and everybody was happy at the end. You you can't get away with that stuff these days. 
and 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 it's alone, man. <laughs> you know, like like I'm not going on the road when 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 there's people out there, and mostly my fans that tried to overthrow the government. <laughs> there's no way. <laughs> there's no way, and especially with me being Chinese, and and they might think, John, he's Chinese, like kung fu. So he got the, oh, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, 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 you know, it's time to hold them and time to fold them. And no, no, I know. We, I'm watching Dean Martin Rose. You want to have some fun? Watch the old Dean Martin Rose around the 70s, 76. They're the funniest. Oh my God. They get up there, red buttons and that. And they pull no punches. You talk about racism they would always have muhammad ali on both of them that i saw so far and the racist jokes that came out of all those guys oh it was so funny who was who was, who was talking, talking to oh it was uh, don rickles was talking like a black guy to muhammad ali <laughs> and muhammad ali got seriously man why are you talking like that why do you make your voice go like that <laughs> Steal, do you? No, no, no way, Muhammad. Unless you say so. <laughs> Wait, hey, anything you say, I do. Well, why do you? Why do you? Why do you talk like that? Well, that's you just can, to why put you, on. This was, you can still talk like you're supposed to talk. I know. But now, if you met an Italian, do you talk in Italian? No, no, I never talk in front of them. I tap them. <laughs> Are you trying to say we talk like? Oh man! Did, did he stop? It, it was a setup. It, it was a setup. Oh, it was yeah. a setup. It was a perfect setup because I fell for it. Everybody fell for it. And then it was like laugh. No, but that see, we had that back there. And and by the way, it was a you know the last act of a lot of guys on that stage. You know that I saw there. You know, they're all gone now. You know, Bob Hope, Nipsey Russell, you know, Don Rickles, they're, 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 they're all in, in um, purgatory, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> we hope it's at least purgatory, not the other place. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Have you ever actually had anything that you did in film or, or any time in your career censored? I mean, you pushed the envelope a lot. I got to think something didn't get through. Uh, no, no. Well, you know, they did with next movie universal. They asked me and I gave permission to recut it. And so they recut it. And so instead of looking for weed, we were looking for diamonds (laughs) and, and, and and it made no sense whatsoever because teaching John looking for diamonds, you know, (laughs) and any stoner saw that cut would go, God, that weed looked like diamonds. (laughs) I've always wondered if you went into each movie sort of thinking, let's explore something else because I've, I've noticed the tone change, right? Uh, 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 nice dream. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like the, you went from this kind of, I don't even know how to explain the first movie. It is just a big road trip. Um, and then it was more, it was a was musical. Movie. It was a musical. Sure. Until yeah. it was up in smoke boys. It was a musical. I, I, one tune. Yeah. <laughs> so it was the entire movie. It was a movie of a song. That's great. Yeah. yeah. So when was, your next movies, they were a little bit like sex comedy. And then you had a movie that didn't mention marijuana at all. And then started to open up and you started to show your stage act, which is still smoking. And then um, a little bit more of a opportunity for you to play other characters. 
I, I gotta yeah. think that wasn't just, you know, you must have thought that through a bit. No, I, I, you know, I wish I could say that I would have stuck with the, with the, with the, the program, with the formula. I would have made, uh, I would still be making Cheech and Chong movies. It was Cheech that rebelled. And even though I was a director, I knew I had to be the director because I directed up in smoke for the most part. There was a lot of things. I wrote it and I directed it, you know, for the most part, you know, especially all the Cheech and, Cheech and Chong bits, you know, any Cheech and Chong bit in there, you know, I was the one that said, this is it, you know, this is what we, we, we like this one. You know, there was, there was, there was a movie full of first takes. And so when I, but when I got the director uh, hat and chair, I lost Cheech, literally, because up until then we were partners, you know, thick and thin, Cheech and Chong. Uh, we worked live, you know. Yeah, it was Cheech and Chong. But when you get into movies, then you get separated, you know. And that's what happened with Lou and Cheech and I. You know, we got separated from Lou, you know. And then when I started uh, directing movies, now the first one, uh, next movie, we, we, we did fine. Now, what I did, you see, I put Cheech's wife into next movie. And the reason I did that is because I wanted to put my wife in all the other movies, you know, and Cheech was kind of a, he, he gave me resistance from the get go. You know, he never really was that comfortable with me being the director. And, but I had to do it that way because, uh, you know, a lot of that stuff would never have been made the way it was made had I not been there. You know, like the van made out of uh, weed or like uh, the fuck me Alex bit or oh, there's so many bits. Uh, P Cheech Pete in the hamper. Or, uh, you know, there's a lot of those bits that would never have happened had I not been able to say this is what we have to do. Uh, and then when when I started doing directing, next movie was different. Next movie, it was kind of it was a it was a co-directing thing. We we both directed next movie because you know, eh, although I wrote it and controlled it, you know, especially in the editing room. But as far as the performance goes, you know, Cheech directed quite a few people, you know. Uh, some scenes in there. In fact, Dan Aykroyd actually helped one in one scene in uh, in next movie because that's the way I work. You know, I I, I, I give everybody a, a a voice. I listen to everybody. You know, like when I did uh, things are tough all over. No, what happened in trying to make Cheech part of it? Cheech just he he just disappeared. When uh, we had another movie to do, he, at first, he didn't even want to come and pitch the movies. Our, our uh, producer, Howard Brown, Cheech hated him still to, to this day, even though Howard's dead. Uh, Cheech uh, didn't like Howard. But Howard got us the three movies after Up in Smoke. He got us free from Lou Adler. He, he got us the first movie with Ned Tannen. He got us the next two movies with the Columbia. And and so and then Howard went on, you know, to help me do a lot of things, you know, but Cheech didn't like him. And, and that kind of broke Cheech and I up. And so Cheech wanted to be part of, of the movie making process, you know, and he and he wanted to name the movie. And that's why uh, Things Are Tough All Over got named Things Are Tough All Over. That was Cheech's idea of naming. Mm -hmm. See, I, I would have gone with Riding High. 
See, that was that was the title that I wanted to use. You know, and like I did up in smoke, you know, yeah. uh, you know, I have that talent. And, and Cheech, you know, he he, he wrote Mexican Americans, and he directed, wrote, and directed Born in East LA. Right. But that was his only movie. That was it. He quit after that. He quit making movies. Now me, I made uh, the Corsican Brothers, and then I made Far Out Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I made one that's in my basement now, which I'm going to move to storage. <laughs> I'm not giving up on it. But I, I, I try to make peace with Cheech, but you really can't. You know, when you make those changes, the, you know, that's it. And, and I look at the, the 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 upside was that I became a stand-up comedian. You know, I'd never done that but with Long Cheech and I stayed together. Cheech became Nash Bridges and Tin Cup and all those things, you know. So so it was it was it was time. But the breakup, like you said, you know, why didn't we do more up in smoke ball? Lou Adler and Paramount owned the ty- the smoke titles. We find uh, I because we did the movie for Paramount, still smoking. We could use still smoking because that was supposed to be a see, there's an example of me. See, uh, Paramount wanted us to do a uh, concert movie like Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy did a concert movie, cost him a million bucks. And so I told Paramount, give me a million bucks, I'll do a real movie. And so they did. And so we did our, our uh, still smoking movie. And then that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to immortalize those bits, those stand up bits that are there. They're immortalized, they're there forever. Uh, and, uh, and I loved it. And, and I really, really enjoyed that time with Cheech. But now uh, we're ready because of the pandemic. We had to stop and, and it was too taxing on, on Cheech's knees, you know, his knees. and me. You know, I, I'm, I'm not just blaming it all on Cheech. Me, you know, it takes me a lot longer to get out of a chair than it used to. And so, you know, things happen like they're supposed to happen. But I'm loving I'm loving my life now. That's great. Yeah. Well, you've actually answered a question that I just thought of. We interviewed Tom Skerritt and we were talking about his role as Strawberry and, you know, we're fans of yours. So I brought you up and he, he's like, yeah, yeah, we didn't really interact much. He was so busy directing and I couldn't figure out why he said you were directing when I thought it was Lou Adler. So you actually, as you said, had a lot yeah. more to do with that movie than I realized. Okay. I directed, I directed the whole, the whole thing, you know, because because these these were bits that weren't written, you know, they weren't on paper. They weren't on a, you know, where you make decisions, well, we'll put the camera here and the camera there. No, we would do a rehearsal and we'd say, okay, this is what we're going to do. And then they, they would come in with the cameras and, and they would do it. And that's why Skerritt and I, you know, we never had a script to, to sit around and say, oh, that's, you know, practice or anything. No, Skerritt made up his own shit. Like we did, you know, <laughs> that, all that, you know, his reaction to, to everything, you know, the Vietnam, uh, you know, him. Yeah. He, he wrote all, everybody, all the actors wrote their own shit. Strether Martin, you get a job by sundown, all the improv, <laughs> all off the top of his head at the moment. Now, come on. Like I'm watching the, the Dean Martin roast and I'm looking at all these actors and at first I'm thinking, well, they're not comedians, you know, and then you picture him, you know, John Wayne, and everything. but they're actors. 
they can do a they can memorize a monologue two days long, and I miss a beat. Orson Welles, he gets up there, hey, he just quotes Shakespeare, and, and he, he gets a laugh. I mean, you know, when you've got those kind of chops, man, you can do anything, and and that's that's what these actors were when we hired them, like Strother Martin, man. Every line he wrote at the time we were doing it. So come on, man. <laughs> and my directing really was finding guys that could do that shit and then fitting ourselves in there somehow, you know. And Cheech really Cheech really got tired of well, he 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 he's uh an actor. He can take lines, memorize them and and figure out you know the characters and all that stuff he can do all that you know yeah yeah well you know not any rock band unless you're the rolling stones and can figure out how to you know jam together to this day hating each other creative groups tend to have a somewhat short shelf life honestly so you know it's no surprise and you both went your separate ways it's great yeah 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 and then we got back together for for a, a while a reunion gig and it was fun you know it was a, it was a lot of fun it was uh, it was actually the i used to laugh at Cher's uh 10th annual farewell tour you know and, uh, <laughs> and i thought of teaching john could do you know two or three farewell tours <laughs> tommy we have a uh, our michael ortiz here is our uh patron he has a quick question for you. Is your pro officer? What'd you say? <laughs> He's our patron on Patreon. Patron on Patreon. Hey, Tommy, I'm just curious of any possible news on that 70 show reunion. Is there one? I have never heard about it. I don't think there, if there is one, I'm not, I haven't been invited yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm quite sure I'll be invited if there is one, but I think uh, they're going to wait until Danny gets out of uh, his his mess that he's in. <laughs> oh, that's right! I forgot about that. <laughs> I, I saw, I kind of saw that coming, you know. But hey, man, that that Scientology shit, man, that's dangerous. That is dangerous. That is evil. That is evil. No good's going to come of that shit. Man. No, it's hard to believe, but sometimes the internet just isn't right about rumors. No, it's good. It's healthy. It's healthy to get it out there, you know. And it's a test. It's all a test. You know, you fall for that shit, you're going to learn a lot. You're going to learn. You're going to lose everything, but you're going to learn a lot, you know. And that's how you learn, by the way. You don't learn by winning. You learn by losing. Yeah, I always say your failures are your best teachers, so. Yep. Totally yep. agree. That's it. Yeah. Okay, what's another question? All right, so we got uh, one from April Ruiz here. She would like to know, what would you like your legacy to be? You know, when I die, I want everybody to pick their favorite moments where they, where I made them laugh so hard they peed themselves. And I want to go out. My legacy is really, oh, man, that guy was funny. That's it. That's it. That guy was, that guy made me laugh. You know, I've had a few of those compliments, you know, where, where we made people laugh so hard that, that they had the ball movements, you know, and, and really that's, that's, that's what I want to go down to be a known mess. Well, I think, uh, I think you won't have a problem there, bud. I think you're uh, well on your way. Well, you know, I did a, I did a little uh, eulogy for, um, a friend of mine, he was actually, uh, he worked for me. He was my landlord when Cheech and I 
first got our first bit of money for our first record. Dave's not here. And so we got money. So I walked down the street, took his for rent sign, handed it to him, said, we're living here. And he was my friend for years and years and years. And, and then when we made it big and I got the big house in Malibu, he came and worked for me. And, and then then we moved to Stone Canyon. He worked on that house, too. He was like the caretaker, jack of all trades. But one time I was gone away on the road for quite a while. And <laughs> and Frank found a little patch of land in on my property in Stone Canyon. And he, he planted about 15, <laughs> since to me, a 15-foot-high <laughs> marijuana plants because he was a gardener, man. They were the, I've never seen plants like that in my life. And they were big buds and everything. We had neighbors trying to steal it and all that shit. And so I, I when I give the eulogy, everybody was sad and crying. And, and so I told the story about Frank planting all the plants. <laughs> I had that church laughing so hard, man. They were just, it was rocking. People couldn't believe it. You know, they're, it's in a church and it's a sad thing. And, and that's uh, hopefully when I go out, I, you know, that's, that's when I should get roasted. That's when I want all the, 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 the comedians and, and you know, and the people to come out Instead of having a funeral, have a roast, That's a and then cre and, and then cremate me. <laughs> <laughs> I like Willie. Like Willie's one song, "Roll Me Up and Smoke Me." Yeah, right? yeah. No, you don't want to, you don't want to smoke uh, human ashes. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious. Uh, uh, good fertilizer. Good fertilizer. But no, you know? no, no. <laughs> well. Uh, it's it's from the old Roman days, you know. Uh, the, the humans are, were were not meant to dine on each other. There's some pretty horrible things that happen to you, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, uh, you know. No, no, you don't want to smoke ashes. You want to smoke really good weed that grew <laughs> out of the ashes. <laughs> so after you're gone, there could actually be a chong weed growing yeah. from your ashes. Yes, <laughs> yes, I can see that. I can see that. I, I think the best is, is, is I want my ashes scattered in a fish pond. Yeah, because fish pond. ocean. Yeah, a fish pond, because that's what the Chinese, they, they had carp ponds for their fertilizer. That's how they grew all their good produce, you know, and the Chinese are some of the best produce growers in the world. And uh, and that's how they did it with with the, the fish fish poop you know, in the water. And then, then you water your plants with this and they, uh, oh, they, they're incredible. Yeah. So, so yeah, I want my ashes scattered in a fish pond. You know, you were saying, um, you were talking about somebody special to you. That made me think of a question. You've, you've been married your entire Hollywood career with Shelby. Was it yeah. better having her around or was it tough to try to balance a, a marriage and the stresses of, of the entertainment business? Well, one of the reasons, you know, I told Cheats that we're going to name ourselves our group, you know, our names, Cheats and Chong. It's going to be no mistake because I went through that whole thing with the naming groups. You know, I was with the Little Daddy and the Bachelors. I was with the Shades. I was with the Bobby Taylor and the Vancouver's, you know. And, and, and so in the movies, that's really who I am. You know, and when I direct movies, that's really 
the the scope of of what I I can do. You know, I can make people laugh, and I can talk about wheat. You know, and with uh, with a lot of marriages, especially with their actors, they become different characters over their lives. You know, and a lot of times, and and, and even. Uh, uh, I notice with Cheech sometimes, you know, because he's an actor. When he's not working, he's not working. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, he's sort of like, you know, he's there. Uh, but when you're a stand-up comedian, you're always working. You're always learning. You're always looking for phrases, looking for words, looking for uh, scenarios, watching everything you can watch. You know, so you never stop working when you're a comedian, and. Uh, I don't know, uh, being, there's a lot of comedians, you know, George and Gracie, you know, they were together forever. Uh, Lucy and Desi would have stayed together had it not been for Desi's alcohol problem, you know, they would have stayed together. Uh, so comedians really have a, a track record of, of keeping their, their ladies. And I, and I think one of the reasons is because we're, we're dealing with truths, you see, and and that that's not and when you meet someone that you fall in love with, that's truth. And the only reason you're not going to be in love with them is that maybe they fall in love with someone else. Well, what I learned is that you don't leave expensive jewelry laying around, <laughs> you know. And so I found a way to put my wife working with me <laughs> to this day. I mean, <laughs> when we go on stage, she's going to be in the back and she's going to be not waiting for me to get off stage, but she's waiting to go on stage Yeah, because you, you want a happy woman, man, you put her, get, get her doing work like stand up comedy or acting or something, you know, where they can express their, their beauty and their talent. You got a partner for life, and that's what I have. But we have Obama, and Obama's for hope. I hope he has a 10-inch dick. <laughs> At least Hillary does. <laughs> Yeah, Shelby's great. She's smooth, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I love her. I love her instincts. She would start getting heckle with one guy. He was going, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. She goes, why are you sitting way up there? Why don't you come down here? There's a lot of seats right here. And then she goes, no, no, really. Come on. She, she, she was sincere about it. No, no, really. Come on. Come on. Right here. And the guy got up, come down, sat there, never heckled her the rest of the night. <laughs> yeah, he was quiet. <laughs> and she's so beautiful. And I think she knows how she affects me. She does know. <laughs> because she, she's always got this little sexy dress on. <laughs> and so when she falls asleep on the couch, you know, you get a good view of everything. And, and, and I, I just, my instinct just say, oh, man. <laughs> She's just torturing the shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. All right. So uh, we have one final fan question from the love bug. He would like to know, even though you got you and uh, Cheech, you know, aren't together anymore. What's your fondest memory with Cheech? That's a very good question. Well, there's so many, so many, so many. I, you know, my fondest memory is the first time I saw him uh, when it, when he came into the club to, to check out the show. 
I, when I met him, I met him, he was writing for this hippie newspaper called Poppin'. And it was a little office, little writer's office. And he had a little desk, little desk where he wrote uh, his reviews. And, uh, and, but when he came down to check us out and that, I loved that too. I loved his attitude, you know, because it wasn't like, oh yeah, I'm going to right there. He's well, no, I'll check you up, see you. See if it's right for me, you know. In the meantime, he's delivering carpets for five bucks an hour, you know, and uh, and I'm offering a, a job in, in, in a acting troupe, you know. But so he shows up, and we're all backstage, and we're oh, the teachers here, and there was a lot of excitement because he has there's something about teach. He's got an aura; it's dynamic, you know. Like he just stood out. But the girl, that, what impressed me is that he, he put this gorgeous brunette that flew. I didn't know it at the time, but she flew to break up with him. <laughs> she flew to, to Vancouver. And I imagined to have one more night with him before she left him for good. But she shows up. She's got a full-length mink coat. And uh, she is stunning. Hollywood. Just like something out of Hollywood. And Cheech was all gussied up, like, you know, like really sharp. And he looked like a star. He come in there, man, and he looked like a, like, like, what is it? Like Cheech, you know? Chick was a little taller, sat down, watched the show. Of course, he loved the show, and uh, he started the next day. And that was the last time we saw that girl, or I saw that girl. <laughs> because that was, oh, goodbye, see you later. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that yeah, I've had quite a few beautiful, but that to me, you know, that was it. And then when he joined the sh- the show, you know, I I had another partner, and we did all the the heavy jokes and the, the things, and none of us knew that he was Mexican until we had been broken up. You know, until we got fired from the the improv group, and then Cheech and I end up in L.A. And we're doing a bit, and I told him, you know, that we needed a character that someone could relate to, you know, in L.A., and he came up with a Chicano character. Up until then, I had no idea <laughs> what he was Mexican or what he would look like or anything, because he really is a chameleon. He, he can be a lot of people, a lot of uh, Persians think he's Persian, because we used to make a joke about that, you know. Teach, what are you? I'm Persian. <laughs> you know? And so so the word went out in the Persian community, hey, we got a guy who went to a comedy. <laughs> oh, Tommy, this has been the best. I, again, super fans here. So thank you so much for your time. Um, well, thank you. Yeah, I'm going to ask one final question. Oh, we got um, one, one more, one more time. One more question, if, if you still have a, a moment, and it's from me, and it's sure. because I, I know so much about you. And it, this is, I'm not trying to be sensational here and get good stuff to share in the internet and market our show. I'm not doing that. But tell us something people don't know about you. And if it's really good and juicy, we're totally going to send it to the newspapers. <laughs> uh, they, but they don't know about me. Well, I just found out myself. I'm part native, eight percent. Did you do that like twenty three and me or whatever that? Yeah, is? well, we did the uh, the blood test. What uh-huh. do you call it? DNA. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. DNA, DNA, and that just answered so many questions that I always had all my life. Number one, when we were, well, I was eight, 
you know, seven, eight years old, man, we, we were barefoot and shirtless all summer, all summer. I got a picture in my bathroom right now of my, my brother, he's shirtless, got raggedy ass pants on and, and we look like, and my sister's there and I'm there and we're, we got a little pet dog and we look like natives. Because <laughs> we are native. <laughs> That's cool. That's interesting. Well, this has been great. Thank you so much. Do you have anything okay. you want us to share with with our audience? Anything you want to plug? Buy my weed whenever you see it. You know, help the cause. Absolutely. Because uh, yeah, yeah. Because I want to. And then there's a uh, some kind of thing going around about get the pot prisoners off. But uh, I, I'm going to. Uh, have a little talk with Joe Biden myself because I know I got an in with uh, Hunter. I know Hunter, and and so I'm going to uh, give Joe a little boost. You know, a little jig. I'll jig his little little butt for a minute. Say, well, I know what legalize it, Joe. For yeah. fuck's sake, man! I know one of his yeah. laws put you in prison there, so I think you got a a little bit. Yeah, I, I got a reason. No, and 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 I, I tell you what, I, if, if if they don't, I'm going to start a class action lawsuit for the publicity <laughs> yeah because they're they're infringing on our rights to sell our weed man we can't have that that's right <laughs> tommy where can people find your weed uh california michigan we just hit michigan we got awesome. three rolls going like crazy in michigan palm springs out in the desert malibu carries our stuff um it's all around it's awesome. around you gotta you gotta check for it and then what you do tell all your listeners if uh, they don't have it just say why don't you have it right. bug. Be, be a bug <laughs> and if you do that enough times then they'll find out how they can get our stuff but be on the well we'll, we'll talk again when we get the uh, dispensaries up and running and by the way I'm going to uh, convert I don't know one maybe two dispensaries into a comedy club <laughs> oh that would be, oh, that would be amazing yeah wouldn't that be great Hell yeah. And I'm going to adhere to the social rules, the distancing and all that. And and have these are spaces where you can record the best comedy, you know. Wouldn't that be cool? Then you go to a dispensary and then you can sit and watch the show. Very cool. Yeah, absolutely. A brilliant idea. And Tommy, I've always had a question. Where can you get, where, where can people get your necklace? I'm going to put out a website very shortly. In fact, we might go through eBay. I'm not. How about Etsy? Think it, for, think. It's eBay for Etsy. homemade stuff. Yeah, definitely I'll do Etsy. I'll check it up. I'll check it out. And that's where you can get them. This one is uh, Mastodon Tusk. It was uh, ivory, of course, but it was 11 million years old. Wow. And so, so it has a lot of properties. Uh, yeah, I'm making the hell out of them. Okay, guys. Thank Thanks you, Tommy, so, much. so much. See ya. See ya. That was great. Okay, guys.